Amen. And now we turn to our sermon text, Hebrews chapter 11. We've been stepping through this great passage about faith. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6, but our, our focus will be on verses 4 through 6 as we begin to see these great examples of faith and the, much, and the, the great many things that they have to teach us. This is found on page 1195. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the example of those who have gone before have trusted in you. We thank you that we stand in a long, long line of the faithful. And we pray now, Lord, that you would use their example to instruct us and to teach us that we might join them in those in being those who are faithful all the way to the end. We need your help, for faith is a gift from first to last. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever thought this to yourself? That if people knew the truth about me, they would not want to have anything more to do with me. If people really knew who I was, they would not want to have anything more to do with me. Um, we are often haunted by just the memories of shameful things that we have done that maybe nobody else to this day knows about. We are haunted by the weaknesses that we're embarrassed about. Again, maybe that very few people see, but we know. We are haunted by this general sense of insecurity, like people seem to like me, they say they like me, but do they actually really care for me? Do they actually really love me? If people felt the same, felt, um, if they really knew me, they wouldn't really, they wouldn't really love me. So have you ever felt that way? Maybe some of you are saying, Pastor, I can't think of anyone I've ever not <laughs> felt this way. Like, this is what I live with all the time. Well, we're going through Hebrews 11, talking about faith. And what I want you to see in our passage for today is that if you understand what the Bible says about faith and all its implications, you will see it has a profound answer to this concern. You will see that Faith really is the key to understanding the very deep need that we all feel for true acceptance. So we're going to look at that 
looking first at how God tells us very directly that faith is absolutely necessary. In fact, it is the only way to find genuine acceptance before God. And then we're going to look at two examples, Abel and Enoch. And then we'll see what does it mean for us personally to really not just receive this acceptance, but to internalize it and live it. So, how does somebody become pleasing to God? Is it possible to even know if God is pleased with you? I mean, if God is invisible and he, he almost never, like, opens the heavens and gives a vision to somebody, that's a very rare thing, right? Um, how are we supposed to know how he thinks of us? How does he view us? Well, in our time, a lot of people have an answer to this question. Does, you know, does God approve of you? A lot of people have an answer to this question, and they answer this question by going with what makes sense to them in their gut. What, what does it make sense to them? And most of the time, the gut of people, at least in our society, says this, of course I'm pleasing to God. I'm a nice person, and I don't do really evil things like, and then there's a list of certain examples from history. I don't, I'm not like those people. If I basically do my best and stay out of trouble, surely God is not up there. He's not a meanie. Surely he will accept me. That's what their gut says. And of course, it's a very convenient thing to believe, isn't it? I mean, after all, when you believe something like that, you can just kind of dust your hands of that question. <laughs> um, on from that uncomfortable question, does God accept me? Of course he does. Okay, on to other things. I remember even um, I uh, was witnessing to somebody sharing the gospel with somebody and... Um, the person said to me, like, look, I know that I have a very convenient religion, and his religion was basically, you know, I'm sure God will be okay with me, right? Uh, what I just said. And he says, I know it's very convenient what I, what I believe. I know it doesn't require anything of me, and yet I'm not interested in changing, <laughs> right? So he knows. He can see, hey, this is a very self-interested belief that I have, and yet... What if it's not actually true? What if it's simply, it may make sense, it may feel right, but what if it actually is not true? You wouldn't want to find that out when it's too late. I mean, after all, what basis does anyone have for believing that God is going to accept you if you're not super e evil, except that it just seems intuitive to you? But think about this. Aren't there lots of things in the world that are actually not intuitive about how the world actually works. Lots of things that it takes a while for us to figure out and to learn. Yes, there's many things like that. Don't you want to live your life on a stronger foundation than what just seems to make sense? Of course. Now, here's one other option. Some people get worried about whether God accepts them, and they're thinking to themselves, okay, maybe it isn't just so simple as just sort of passing it off as like, oh, God's a nice guy, it'll be okay. Maybe it's not the case that maybe, maybe he really wants something from me that I haven't given him yet, and he doesn't accept me. And so they're thinking about all the bad things that they've done. They're thinking about all the things that are troubling their conscience, and they're starting to get kind of nervous about whether God accepts them. And so they say, well, I better do something about this. And what do they decide to do? Well, they start getting really zealous for God. They start becoming a very religious person. They start doing very sacrificial things for God. They say, I'll be a missionary, or I'll deny myself all kinds of pleasures, and I'll fast, and I'll pray all the time, and all this. 
What's this all about? In this case, it's about being insecure about God's acceptance. It's about trying to earn that acceptance by being really, really good. Surely, God, after all these things, surely you won't turn me away, right? But in both of these cases, the answer is actually wrong. No, God isn't just like a good old grandfather in the sky who's not going to ever get mad at you unless you're really, really, really bad. No, God doesn't just look at all the sacrifices we've done and kind of allow himself to be manipulated by that, flattered by that. No, you can't buy him off. These are things that make sense to fallen people. Both of these, here's what both of these hold in common. Both of these views hold in common that they make sense to fallen people who don't have an understanding of sin and of the power of sin and of how incredibly unacceptable any sin is to God. Just how incredibly holy and just God is. So rather than going with our gut, and rather with going with you know, just what makes sense to us or what we're feeling at a given moment, why don't we turn to something objective? If we want to know what God accepts, how he can accept us, let's actually look at what he said by looking at the word. And what does he say? Look, look at Hebrews 11:6. He says it to you point blank, Without faith, it is not possible to, to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In other words, if you're going to be pleasing to God, you must have faith. And that's what he said back in verse 2. If you remember when we were reading the whole passage there, he says, By this, by faith, the people of old, that is the Old Testament saints, that's how they received their commendation, their acceptance before God. And it's true today, too. That's why he's saying it. Like, it was true then, and it's true today. The way they received their commendation was by faith. And there's a whole bunch of other passages in the New Testament that say this. This is not an isolated statement. Romans 3.28, Paul says, We hold that one is justified. Remember that word justified means accepted by God as righteous. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Galatians 3.11, no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And isn't that incredible? Before a person believes in Jesus, no matter what their life looked like, before they believe in Jesus... They are unacceptable to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Before Jesus, before they're trusting in him, they are not acceptable. And then the moment they believe, they are now acceptable. They are now received, welcomed, justified. And just think about, I know it's a commonly used example, but it is an amazing example. Think of the thief on the cross. Isn't it incredible that this person, who no doubt lived a very godless life, I mean, there's a reason why he's on the cross, who knows what he did? He's there on the cross being crucified. He has not lived for God his life, his whole life. And yet there on his last gasping moments, he believes in Jesus. He says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. He welcomes him. He forgives him. So when you trust in Christ, what we're doing is we're saying to him, Lord, I can't ever be good enough 
I can't ever, I can't ever make up for all the things I've done. I can't ever be so good that I'll be acceptable in your sight just intrinsically for what I have done. And so I'm coming to you with empty hands. I'm coming to you saying, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't make this right. But you can make it right. And I'm asking you, I'm trusting you. And what does he do? He takes all of our sins. He lays them on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he had to die. Jesus taking our place on the cross, dying the death we deserved. He lays them all on Jesus Christ, and in laying them all on Jesus Christ, he wipes away everything that is displeasing to us, and so you receive this incredible gift of being now pleasing to God. Acceptance. And it's all by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I just want us to, like, to really think about that just for a second more and just think about, isn't this incredible? Here's this incredibly generous offer from God. I'll forgive you freely if you come to me simply trusting in my offer that if you trust in Jesus Christ, I will wipe away your sins. Here's this incredibly generous offer, and yet many people are deeply offended by this offer. Why is that? What, why is it so incredibly offensive to so many people? Well, I'll tell you why. If you understand this offer, and if you understand what it will mean for you to accept this offer, it will mean that you need to now accept that you can't do it. You can't do it yourself. You will simply never be good enough, never be holy enough. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so to that first person who said, well, I'm all good. I haven't been like that, but I'm as bad as that guy. God says, well, um, actually all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there's no one who's righteous, not even one. Psalm 14, verse 3. And to the second person who said, well, I've been super religious and sacrificial all my life, God's saying, are you going to manipulate me with these, these deeds that aren't completely holy, that aren't completely done with, with complete righteousness and love for me? I desire true holiness, true wholehearted love of God and wholehearted love of neighbor, with all that you are, it is sheer pride to think that we could ever achieve to that. So again, brothers and sisters, without faith, it is not possible to please God. Grace is offensive. When we lose sight of our sinfulness and the holiness of God, when we understand how holy God is and how sinful we are, it's like this. It's like one person is in debt $2.2 trillion, and here's this other person who's in debt two trillion dollars. And what are we going to say? Does it make sense for the two trillion dollar guy to look at the other guy and say, well, I'm not as bad as that dude? <laughs> of course not. Both are beggars at the foot of the cross. Both have no way of ever paying that back. Only Jesus, only Jesus can take it all away. And so whatever slight disparity there might be between our sinfulness and the sinfulness of another person, we are all equally desperate all can only find acceptance through faith alone. And to illustrate this for us and to just, just really help us to internalize the glory of it, he gives us these two examples, Abel and Enoch. So let's look at these. Abel and Enoch. Abel, remember, he and Cain, they both offered sacrifices, right? Cain offered from his vegetable produce. Abel offered from the herds. That's, that was their line of work, so they offered from what they had. Well, it says that God had regard 
for Abel's sacrifice, but not on Cain. And why is that? Is that, is that because God likes meat and doesn't like veggies? I don't think so. Look at what verse 4 says. What made Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's was ultimately his faith. God commended Abel. He received his sacrifices because when Abel came, he came trusting God and not the sacrifice. He came offering himself to God, seeking God. And there's another thing that Abel's story teaches us about God's commendation. It also says that Abel's commendation, the commendation that God gave to Abel, that it is invincible. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 4. It says, through his faith, Abel, though he died, he still speaks. Where is the author getting that from the passage? Well, remember, Cain murdered Abel. He was jealous of him. And, you know, you can imagine Cain saying, ha, now where is God's commendation of Abel? Right? Now I've, I, I've overcome God's commendation. I've got a better word. What I've done is more powerful than what God said to Abel when he commended him. And you know what God says to Cain? He says, uh, your brother, he actually still speaks. Did you see that in the passage? It says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And usually when we hear that, we're thinking, okay, sort of a metaphor for like the blood crying out for justice. And of course that's true. There is, there is a terrible murder that's taking place and God, the just judge, must address this. And he does. But there's something else that's being said here when the blood is crying out from the ground. And it's this, that even after our death, God still has regard for us. That even when Abel died, God still accepts him and receives him. And that the life that he lived, the life of sacrifice to God, was acceptable to God and still commended by God even after his death. As another part of the Bible says, it says that when we labor in the Lord, our labor is not in vain. Even if our lives are cut short by some unforeseen thing, like, you know, Cain, his brother, murdering him, even then, God still receives him, Abel, into his own presence. And so, when we think about this, we start to understand what faith means a little bit more. Faith means that when you offer something to God, it's really not going to be about what you offer or how much you offer that will make it acceptable. How much did Abel give? Well, he only had, apparently, just this harvest that he, uh, uh, that this first, uh, firstlings of the flock that he gave, right? So what does God say that makes this acceptable? It's not the scope of what he gave. It's that he gave it in faith. One more example, Enoch. Now, this is really a, an amazing example of how rich the Bible is, even when it doesn't tell us much. There's not much in there about Enoch. We just read everything the Bible says about Enoch, right? And yet, what does he say in 11.5? Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, for God took him. And part of what's intriguing about this is we know two people in the history of the world, according to the Bible, that apparently did not see death, but were immediately taken up to God. There's Enoch and Elijah. Okay, so that's interesting, but the author of Hebrews is not interested in that. 
Instead, what does he say? He says, before he was taken up, before he was taken up, he was commended as having pleased God. And we're thinking to yourself, okay, how do you know? Well, look at Genesis 5, 24. It says, before Enoch was taken up to heaven, the ESV says, Enoch walked with God. And that's a good translation. But the Greek Bible translates or paraphrases it, paraphrases it as Enoch was well-pleasing to God. And that is what the author of Hebrews is going on. It's a good paraphrase of the Hebrew because walking with God means you're acceptable to God. And what the author is wanting us to see is this declaration, Enoch walked with God, is before he was taken up. The order is very important. And this is also instructive to our faith and very relevant to the issue of acceptance because of this. What this is saying is you don't need to wait until you die to receive God's acceptance. Enoch did not need to wait until he died, as Abel died, right? He did not need to wait until he died to hear God saying, in effect, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't need to wait until judgment day to hear God saying, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. No, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God immediately pronounces his word of justification over you, his word of love and of acceptance over you. He proclaims over you authoritatively, you who trust in my son, you who have faith, you are my beloved child. I am well pleased with you. I have accepted you, and I will never let you go. So Abel and Enoch, what have we learned from them? Abel has taught us that faith is what makes our sacrificial lives acceptable to God. It's not the other way around, right? That our sacrificial lives are what give us acceptance before God. No, we are, we are accepted by faith, and so then our, accept, our lives that we offer to God, however small or short or long those lives might be, it's the faith that makes it acceptable and beautiful. And then Enoch taught us that we can know that acceptance even before we die, but only if we have faith. So finding acceptance by faith alone, this is the core of Christianity. It's what makes us who we are. Indeed, we the Church of Jesus Christ are the community of those who have faith, of those who trust in Jesus to save us through his death and resurrection. And of course, this is very, very basic. And you're all saying to yourselves, yes, yes I know. I know, Pastor. Tell, us, tell me something I don't know. Well, you know, there's a reason why the author of Hebrews is telling this to a pretty seasoned church. There's a reason why he's revisiting this. That's because we may know something, but not really internalize something. We may cognitively be able to recognize something that we've known maybe for decades, but we haven't really internalized. And so I want to ask you some questions to ask whether you, even you seasoned Christian, have internalized what I just said. Are you afraid that things about you will become known and bring you shame? Going back to the initial thing, right? If people really knew or they knew, uh, if they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't accept me. Are you afraid of that? Is that something that preoccupies your mind and your thoughts? Or do you find that you often get very defensive when people come and try to show you something that's not okay? Is there a lot of, like, self-protectiveness? Like, no, you can't, can't say that about me. Is there a lot of defensiveness? Or how about this? Do you feel absolutely absorbed with the question, what do people think of me? 
Is that just something that you're just always mesmerized and thinking about and it just like looms huge over your mind and over your consciousness? I submit that all of these things reflect that we haven't really understood that we are accepted now by faith. That's a gift. He gave it to you. It's yours. The gospel is, think about this, God knows everything about you. And he has not rejected you. He has not despised the affliction of the afflicted. He's not despised you. No, he knows everything about you, including all the things that you don't yet know about you in the sense that you haven't recognized it as sin, right? He knows everything about you, and yet he does not reject you. He accepts you, and he has authoritatively declared that he accepts you in the gospel of the Son. Another question. It's a famous thing that Martin Luther, that great church reformer in the 1500s, he lived a very austere and sacrificial life as a monk early on because he was haunted by guilt, right? He was always trying to find acceptance with God by doing lots of good things. And what was happening, he was, he was haunted by the sense of guilt, and he was also haunted by this fear that he hadn't done enough, right? He always, always felt like, oh, but I haven't done this, or I haven't confessed this sin. So I ask you, do you feel haunted by the fact that you haven't done enough? When you think about your life, do you think to yourself, man, I just feel like such a failure. I feel like I haven't really done anything. Or I feel like I've done some things, but I feel like I haven't done these things as well as I should. Or, boy, I hope God doesn't take me soon because there's a lot more I've got to do before I die. Or this, to what extent are you saying to yourself, I'm an important person because I do this, or I do this kind of job, or I am this person who's achieved these things. It's all the same thing, right? It's defining ourselves based on what we have done. Do you remember Enoch? He found approval and acceptance before he died. Abel, his his sacrifice was honored, not because of how big or how costly it was, but because, in both cases, faith. And so, Christians, we do not work hard to prove ourselves. We do work hard. Well, we don't work hard for that reason. Rather, we work out hard out of a joyful gratitude for God having already accepted us. And we internalize the gospel and realize, wow, it really is there. God's approval, God's acceptance is already mine because of what Jesus has done. And it protects us, and it gives us tremendous joy, the joy we were just singing about In Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose trespass has freely been forgiven. I will be glad and rejoice in you. What's it talking about? It's talking about the kind of attitude that will protect you from overwork, from needing to prove yourself. It's talking about the kind of acceptance, internalization of the acceptance of God that will protect you from being self-protective. Like, okay, yeah, show me my sin. I want to change. I don't need to, like, prove myself to you. Or let's say that some terrible thing that I've done in the past comes out. I own that, and I wish I'd never done that, and I regret that. But I know that Jesus' blood covers even that. And so I'm thankful, and I'm ready to move forward. Brothers and sisters, you are accepted by Jesus Christ. Not by the amount of work that you've done. No. But simply because it's a gift. And this should lead 
to peace, to unshakable joy, to the realization that no amount of ridicule from people, no amount of frustration or you know, coming up empty on your life's labors will ever be able to shake the Father's love and acceptance of you. It's already yours. You already actually possess it <laughs> as a gift. And the last thing I want to say is this. I want to say a word to those who don't even know this joy, who are sitting there saying to themselves, I am filled with shame for all I failed to do, all the stuff I have done, and I've been pursuing God's acceptance in all the wrong ways. What am I supposed to do? Faith, of course. But let's talk about what that means. What is faith? Look at the end of verse 6. He tells us, Whoever would draw near to God, that's what we want, right? We want to draw near to God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe. Okay, there's that key word. It's just like the word faith. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's that simple. That he exists, that God is real. He is a real, true God. That he really is there. You can't see him, but he made you. Everything did not come from nothing. And as your creator... God deserves your entire life. He wants everything. He wants your love. He wants your time. He wants your energy. He wants your adoration. And yet, all that you need to receive that approval from him, despite the fact that you haven't given him all those things, is simply to seek him through Jesus Christ. And this is where we have to be very clear. It says you must believe that he is. Okay, there's lots of people who believe God exists. Just saying, I believe in God does not immediately save you. No, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, who seek him through Jesus Christ. Think about James 2, the demons, they believe and shudder, right? They don't know anything about this grace that we love. But we believe that God, when we seek him, will reward him. Not because we seek him because we did all these good things, but no, it's seeking of faith, coming to him and saying, Father, I need you. I can't do it myself. And he says, when you seek him in this way, you will find him. And I just want to encourage you, Jesus promises he's never going to turn away anybody who comes seeking him in this way, seeking him as a sinner. You come to him with empty hands, what does he give you? He gives you everything. But you have to lay down all, you have to come with empty hands. You can't come saying, well, God, I want you to accept me because I've been so good. You have to come to him with empty hands Lay down all your boasts. And when you do that, this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, you will then be able to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why with confidence? Because of Jesus. That we might find mercy and grace in our time of need. He says, if you understand this, that Jesus rewards those who seek him by faith, then he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. In other words, assurance that will be accepted. For if you believe in Jesus, you are already accepted. Indeed, the Father even now commends and accepts you as you come to him in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for a reminder of this non-intuitive grace. We thank you that we poor sinners who have been so confused about how to find acceptance with you and so often find it by either ignoring our sin or trying to work off our sin with lots of obedience. We thank you that you correct us and you do so with gentleness and you show us, Lord, no, this is not the way, but instead 
We are to find acceptance by faith and faith alone, just simply receiving the salvation as a gift. And so we do pray, Father, help us to seek you by faith. And help us to really internalize that having sought you, that we will be rewarded by, by you. That, Lord, you even now commend us before our death, and you call us your beloved children. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will the elders please come forward for the Lord's Supper?